Hello, 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 and welcome to another episode of the Blue Oval Podcast. I am Ben Weissel, and joining me as always, Garrett Zatlin. How's it going, man? Ben, I think I was excited for the initial snowfall that I was supposed to get here just outside of Philly. We got 14 inches. It was like super exciting for a couple days. And then we just got another like six inches yesterday. And I'm like, all right, I'm kind of done with this stuff right now. I'm I'm kind of done being stuck inside and the roads being completely awful where you can't even navigate to the grocery store. So um, I have been snowed inside for what feels like the entire pandemic when in reality it's only been like, <laughs> you know, a couple days. But man, I'm kind of kind of done with the snow right now. It was 45 and sunny here. It was it was a beautiful day, um, but we are about to get like whacked with some snow and some cold weather, I think, at the end of the week. So I'll probably be right there with you, even if it's like one inch, one inch in Nashville absolutely shuts down the city. The bread, the milk all go <laughs> flying off the shelf. It's literally the apocalypse um, anytime there's an inch of snow on the ground. Uh, but Garrett, we had a big week of action. Um some interesting cross-country races, um, plenty of indoor action to get through. Um, before we get into that, um, quick reminder to give us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts. We are up to 108 ratings, slowly moving up the charts. Um, follow us on Spotify Podcasts um, and continue to support the site. Um, but Garrett, do you, before we move on, anything else you want to say real quick at the top? Nope, we've got 108 reviews. Let's try to bump those numbers up again, as Matthew McConaughey would say. Those are rookie numbers. Uh, But no, yeah, that's all I got. All right, well, why don't we jump right in and talk about the Florida State Winter Cross Country Classic. Um, Weird name for a a meet, considering this will never happen again. But um, I I don't know, the classic name is is a weird thing for me. Uh, But beyond (laughs) that, um, we had some... Fantastic races on the men and women's side. We'll start on the women's side where Colorado upset Stanford, um, the presumptive number one team, I think, by us and by a lot of other people. Um, Just a tour de force in depth, I think, from Colorado, looking very strong throughout their lineup. And Stanford showing their firepower like we expected through their top three runners. But a few of their uh, women who we expected to be in All-American contention were pretty far back in a race that is definitely not going to be the same caliber as Nationals in March. No. Yeah. I mean, what a heck of a performance by Colorado. You know, I think this is a, a weird balance of wanting to give Colorado their credit, but also trying to examine the flaws that was within this Stanford lineup. You know, as you mentioned, Colorado is some extensive depth, but Rachel MacArthur, you know, they needed that low stick piece and, you know, they didn't always have, you know, that true low stick last year. I mean, they had, you know, some, some really top performances. I, I think they maybe even had like an all American performance from, from Sage Hurtaw back in 2019. I, I forget specifically who that was, but MacArthur really looks like the low stick presence that we were hoping Colorado was going to have. And then Michaela De Janeiro comes out of absolutely nowhere. Mm-hmm. She finishes 12th. That was huge. Covert and Constine, uh, you know, they're huge at 17th and 18th. And then Abby Nichols, for me, when you have a near all American who was 41st at the NCAA XC championships back in 2019, when she's your fifth runner and admittedly, you know, I don't think she's she was in top form. I don't, I don't think she's quite, you know, back to where she was in 2019. But 
you know, it's, it's nice to have that luxury of an experienced runner who was almost an All-American and she's your fifth runner, you know, maybe even when she's not at her best fitness. Well, that's really exciting stuff if I'm Colorado. So overall, in terms of a full display of depth, Colorado just really made the most of the opportunity. Um, but as for Stanford, it's it's amazing because you look at their top three runners. It's like Donahue was great. Dudek was far better than we expected. Mm-hmm. And, and Haymock, I think, was better than we expected. I don't think we expected her to have bring over the track performances. But then you look at like Lawson falls back to 32nd overall. Uh, Aubrey Roberts or Audrey Roberts, excuse me. No, I think I got it right, actually. I think it's Aubrey Roberts. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's Aubrey Roberts. Um, she <laughs> fell back to 63rd place, right? And she was previously an All-American. Jordan Oaks was looking like a potential All-American this year and even last year, and yet she was 18th overall in the B race. So it's a tight mix of Colorado did incredibly well, and Stanford really had a ton of flaws, and yet Stanford only lost by five points. So very difficult trying to analyze. It's like, okay, well, just how good are these teams? Um, and, and luckily for both of them, I think we'll see that both at the Pac-12 championships get a little more clarity there. But if I'm Stanford, I have a lot uh, to address moving forward. I want to be the national title conversation. And for Colorado, just keep doing what you're doing and only improve upon it if you want to be on that podium. I think the Stanford performance might have been the biggest I think race of this young cross country season on the women's side, because they were the team that was kind of just in the air for all of fall. We were like, all right, well, when Stanford starts racing, they're going to show that they're the clear number one, the clear national favorite. And with them running like this, it opens the door to so many teams because I I don't think we've seen NC state necessarily run at their top level yet. They obviously haven't run their star two freshmen and Tui and Starlipper. Um, and now that Stanford's kind of opening the door just a little bit, it, it seems like maybe an Arkansas team gets in there. Maybe this Colorado team who, who was also, I think without Holly Bent and maybe some other pieces um, that they could all of a sudden jump into this conversation where we were thinking it was a one, two, uh, horse race for this national championship now it just i mean there's a, there could be three four five teams maybe in that contention and that's a great great point you're right it does completely open the door just for the exact reason that you mentioned it's not just that stanford you know maybe didn't have their best race but it's that nc state you know they we haven't seen Tui and starlipper you know the whole big reason of, of Tui and starlipper being at you know of why NC State's such a top team is because we think Tui and Stellarper are going to be so good, and we still haven't seen them yet. Uh, now, granted, I will say this. If Jessica Lawson, you know, mm-hmm. if she runs to her ability, then what she finishes, I think, like, let's just say she finishes fifth overall, then this race really isn't super close, and we just chalk this up to, like, wow, Colorado had a nice day, but Stanford's still still the overall better team, right? And I think that that has to be considered, especially because Lawson, it's not like she had such a dramatically bad race where we have to wonder, it's like, oh, something's wrong with her. It's like, I don't think anything, I don't think she's like trying to rebound from anything that I know of, right? Mm -hmm. I I don't think it was such a poor performance where it's like, wow, you know, Lawson, she can't keep running like that. I I think she's actually going to be fine in the future. I think she'll be great. Um, But it does make Stanford a little more human. And you're absolutely right. It opens the door. Um, And I still think that, you can kind of argue for them in the national title race. It is a lot more difficult to do so, um, but you're right. I think it opens the door for the Arkansas, BYU's, and now even Colorado possibly. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I'm, I'm with you there. Yeah, and I mean, from the Stanford side, we're, we're talking, you mentioned this briefly, but 
Zofia Dudek to, as a freshman, finish third. I, I mean, I don't think that was something we had. She wasn't, I, I don't think, in our top four or five projected for Stanford. And for her to run as well as she did, and Stanford still kind of fall back. I, I mean, I think that's kind of where you get a little worried, where you have freshmen at your uh, top of your lineup and your fifth score as well. Um, and, and like you said, maybe Roberts can fill that hole or Lawson. But at the same time, I mean, this is this is a totally different Stanford lineup than I think we were expecting to see. And that's going to make a huge, huge difference. As for Colorado, I, I like what you mentioned with Mer- MacArthur is is right on. But someone like Emily Covert running well after being injured for so long and coming back into into play for them, I think is so huge. She, we were I think we were all really high on her uh, last year when she came into Colorado. And for her to start to fulfill some of that promise for the Buffaloes, I think is going to be really, really big for them. Yeah, and that's a great point. You're you're right, because when you kind of look at this lineup, they have so much depth. But who was going to kind of be the middle lineup piece that kind of stabilizes and bridges the low stick prowess of MacArthur to kind of like the rest of this lineup, right? Um, and, and it's covert. And the fact that she's finishing, I think, what, 17th, mm-hmm. and she's still only, you know, a redshirt freshman in this instance, in which is crazy because she'll still be a freshman next year (laughs) which is like just absurd by the way um but yeah she's gonna be she's gonna be a freshman as like in her third year of college sorry just completely blows my mind but i think that this is a really good start and i think that she can still move up you know like she's still very very new to collegiate competition this is only her second college race but her first one wearing a colorado uniform so if she's finishing 17th in this race, what else she can she do? If she continues to get better, um, Colorado may have a lot more scoring potency than maybe we'll give them credit for, at least right now. Yeah. Do you want to mention Duke in the, the Big 12 teams? I, I think Oklahoma State is an interesting one um, because they, they had uh, Taylor Rowe run really well. Uh, Gabby Hentman ran really well again. But Molly Bourne starting to come, kind of come back into the picture with her 15th place performance. I don't think Taylor Summers ended up running after she was entered, but it seems like the the cowgirls are slowly getting the gang back together. Yeah, yeah, that's a great point. I mean, you now have that potent top three, and this is like what I've kept. I've been saying this, and mm-hmm. you know this, you know, all the way back to the fall. It's like. Oklahoma State can be really good. Oklahoma State can be really good. Now, granted, they were still over, gosh, what, 50 points away, well over 50 points away from Duke, right? I mean, Duke had one heck of a race, and and I do want to briefly touch on them in a moment. But the scoring potency, that top three, that lethal firepower of Oklahoma State between Boer, Rowe, and Hentman is just such stark contrast to their depth, which really isn't looking great. You know, like they – they just need that one more piece. Like, sure, they can have like a maybe like a weaker fifth runner, but at least just kind of like solidify things with a fourth score. And you would hope that it'd be Somers, but after struggling last mm-hmm. fall and then not seeing her, you wonder. It's like, all right, well, Oklahoma State. Let's see what happens here. The good news for Oklahoma State women is that they beat Iowa State, they beat West Virginia, so they beat their fellow Big Twelve. Um, conference champions and that's going to help them i think qualify for nationals in the long run yeah i mean they had a better top three than colorado um which shows you how how strong that front three is if they can get summers or even someone else to fill in in that four or five role that that would be huge but duke like you mentioned if we want to talk about spread their top runner coming in and 19th 5th and 29th i mean 
easily the tightest spread of anybody in the field. Um, just showing a lot of depth through that one through five, almost interchangeable uh, across the board. Great pack running by the Duke Blue Devils. And I think we're going to see them after a strong ACC championship. It seems like they're only getting better. Yeah, this is a team with just so much momentum. And what's crazy is that like just no one had a top five that was really better than them. Like, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, obviously Colorado did, you know, you know what I mean? But like in terms of the time spread there, like you just don't see that very often, you know, 19 for your low stick and Reinhardt is, is a no joke kind of talent. Yeah. But then to, for the rest of them to go in the team scoring 25, 27, 28, 29, all of them in the top 30, that's really impressive stuff. Pack running like that is going to benefit you like it, you know, we've seen this with other teams in the past, like Michigan. You want to talk about the Michigan men, and they're they're my kind of like my model team for teams mm-hmm. like for teams like Duke, and and right now it's working out. And Coach Roger Riley, and if you and we'll, you know, if we want to talk about the men a little bit, we will. But between the Duke women, the uh, Duke men, I don't know what she's doing, but it's it's just such a like as soon as she uh, she stepped in, it's like just click. Everything just clicked, and it's a completely different team. They're now a top-ranked program, and I just like, I, I just, it, it's usually when that happens, it takes a couple years. It takes like one or two or three years, but she just stepped in and just everything clicked on, and it's just, it's very surprising. You don't often see that. Yeah, absolutely. Is there any other team you wanted to hit on before we move on to the men? Um, I do want to shout out to West Virginia because I've mm-hmm. been high on them for a while and they've raced very well. And I actually think I predicted them to finish six and they did. So shout out to me. Nice. Um, yeah, nice. Yeah. And then shout out to Liberty. I think, you know, I've been, I've been told that they had had a pretty decent team and, you know, I looked in and I was like, oh yeah, they do have a pretty good squad, but for them to finish seventh and beat, you know, teams like Notre Dame and Utah state and Tennessee, I mean, that's pretty legit. Um, I don't know if they'll get into the national meet, but I think they have a good um, argument to get in. And I think that they could certainly cannot be counted out when having that conversation. Yeah. I mean, if they win the A Sun, I think they're, which they, they should um, a performance like this, I think is going to definitely bolster their case. So um, yeah, that's, that's a good point. Well, why don't we move on to the men and boy, uh, just like the women's side, we had some fascinating results. Stanford took home the win in surprise fashion. Iowa State and Colorado ended up tying at 98 points with Iowa State winning the tiebreaker. And then in fourth, we had a a continuing to be a surprise team in the Utah State men looking really strong, even after losing a lot of top talent. I mean, where do you want to start with this one? I mean, we have to start with Stanford, right? I mean, the idea that Stanford really just completely took this race and made it their own and doing so with such a young group and you know like the youth in these kind of fields which is is always a it's always a risk right you run the risk of their youth and inexperience and inability to you know usually you don't have youngsters in such long races step up and emerge as such true low stick and firepower maybe they can help out the back end but not like sprout or charles hicks who's a redshirt freshman um not with them finishing fifth and sixth. Like I figured Sprout would be great. I mean, but just to, for his first race to come out and finish fifth like that is is pretty significant. And then you've got uh, Devin Hart, a redshirt freshman in 29th, and you got Thomas Boyden, a true freshman back in 34th. He was your sixth scorer. Parsons and Prince of Bay filling out the middle of the lineup. It's like, man, Stanford, like it, it, it just, you don't usually see this with the youth dictating the success of an overall team. Uh, you know, four guys who are, or three guys, yeah, four guys who were technically considered as freshmen were in the top six. Mm-hmm. And that's, 
that's pretty crazy stuff to me. Yeah, I, I think Sprout and Hicks definitely exceeded our expectations. Parsons is just classic consistency, twelfth uh, place finish. I'm sure he'll be in All American position by the time national uh, the national meet rolls around. But I, I think the future, and I think we we already thought of this coming into the race. The future yeah. for Stanford is bright. Uh, we saw their last two recruiting classes, and they're really good. Uh, and we saw what like Hicks and some of his other classmates did during their redshirt year last year um, on the track. They threw down some impressive times. So we knew they were good and talented, but we didn't think that it could translate this year, maybe, where they were going to be leading right. a top 10 program this year. And from what it looks like, they're ready to do that from day one, which I think if they can get into that top 10 range this year, it would be such a huge building block for them to be able to go into next year, still as freshmen, as we mentioned, and to be really able to build on this even more, add a few more pieces, whether it's uh, transfers or fresh recruits, and that you're really building a super strong core that's going to have another four years together if they want it um, and create just another dynasty, I think, for Stanford. Yeah, yeah, you're absolutely right. You you put that so eloquently. I mean, it's, you know, we've we've known that they they've been this good, right? But I don't think we expected them to do it as soon as they stepped onto the stage like they have now. And, and granted, when you as we kind of move down and look at Iowa State and mm-hmm. Colorado, who tied for second place uh, at 98 points, Iowa State getting the edge. But when you look at that, it's like Iowa State didn't have Ezekiel Kabishi, mm-hmm. and Colorado didn't have Kashawn Harrison or Stephen Jones. Now. I do want to acknowledge that I think Stephen Jones is going to be out for the season. Looks like he has sustained an injury. So um, that is something to keep note of. Um, I don't know what that means for his spring season, but I think I did see that on Instagram. So if I'm wrong, just I don't know what I saw on Instagram then. But the whole point of what I'm saying here is that, you know, while Stanford did run incredibly well, we do have to factor in the idea that Harrison and Kabishi could have made this race a lot tighter. And I don't know if Kabishi's going to come in this season. I would hope Harrison's going to come in this season. Um, but even then, let's just say you do have Colorado at full strength or almost full strength. You do have Iowa State with this another low stick, and yet Stanford's still in position to take home a win. It's like, yeah, that's that, that's pretty special. Yeah, I'm looking at uh, Stephen Jones's Instagram right now, and he does have an injury, uh, I think a stress fracture, which is going to keep him out for a while. Um, but yeah, your, your points are, are well taken. Um, I think Iowa state was still, it was still a little disappointing from them that this team that did really well at big 12s, even without Kavishi from, uh, the fall just didn't have their best race. I, I think you, you had Wesley Kipto who just com- continues to absolutely drill everyone in his site. Every time yep. he takes the, takes the course, like, at, I mean, what he's doing is, is truly incredible. Um, but the, the rest of their guys just weren't quite up to snuff. Uh, I mean, Thomas Pollard put it in a solid race, but Festus Legat had a little bit of an off day, um, and, and their depth, which is usually pretty strong through that three through six, w- just quite, wasn't quite there. And, and that doesn't leave me too concerned about them. But if someone like Chad Johnson has a better day, then suddenly maybe we're talking about them being a lot closer to Stanford. Yeah, yeah, and that's a great point. It's really just the back end. Again, it's it's crazy that they can have six guys in the top six or top forty, really yeah. top forty scoring spots or team scoring spots, I should say. Like they can have six guys there, and yet we're saying, oh, not a great day for their depth, which is pretty crazy. Um, you know, like Fesses Legat, you're right, 
based on what we saw in the fall, should have been higher up. Uh, Milo Greeter and Chad Johnson, those are guys who typically run with Thomas Pollard and they typically run with Mitchell Day. You mm-hmm. know, they're kind of in that same realm. And the fact that they were a bit further back and you had Pollard running in what, 14th place and Day running in 17th place, it's like, okay, so there's still general room for improvement. I still like Iowa State. Um, you know, they got to have everyone running their best on the same day. But if they're not going to have everyone running their best on the same day, I'd rather it be now and not later in the season. Yeah, exactly. Um, as for Colorado, I, I think we got, I, I want to highlight Edward, Ed, Eduardo Herrera because he, he started showing like signs that he was maybe in the best shape of his life at Oklahoma State Invitational last fall. But to finish second in this field, I, I think really shows he's always been a consistent scorer for Colorado. You could always peg him to be 30th to like 60th at the national meet. But now, I mean, he's looking like he could be a top 10 guy um, and losing by 15 seconds, which is a lot. But Kip two's blown out people by a lot more and better runners uh, by a lot more. So I, I think. Herrera is in the shape of his life and he's going to give Colorado a, a legitimate low stick. That's going to replace like the Klecker and the Dressels of last year. Yeah. And that was literally, that was just what I was going to say. It's like, yeah, you had Dressel and Klecker one year and they leave and everyone goes, Oh, where are we going to get the scoring <laughs> potency? And Eduardo Herrera's like, Hey, I think I'm a top 10 guy now. I yeah. think I'm just going to, I think I'm just going to hop in here. Is that okay with you guys? Like, and it's just systematic every single year. It's like, you just get a new guy and another new guy. Uh, for me, Horniker finishing eighth mm-hmm. overall was huge. I think you needed that. It's like, he had this, he had a really good like streak in this like hot streak uh, throughout the 2019 postseason, Right. And he finishes all American and I'm like, cool. Can you do anything like that ever again? And you know, yes. like admittedly, you know, like, and, and now, yes, now, yes, we kind of see that. But prior to that, I was just kind of like, when, when are we going to see that? You know, kind of like his indoor season was like a little quiet. I'm like, all right, that's fine. He's not really much of a track guy. And then Oklahoma state invitational. And I'm like, Ooh, not the best race. So now I'm like, all right, you know what? I'm not a track guy that excuses out. Uh, you know, they, they traveled across the, you know, the country in a pandemic to a race unattached in a rust buster that excuses out. Hopefully this race, you know, he'll be able to show me something that I'm looking for. And he did. And I think that's that's huge in order for him to kind of stay in that, like, you can be an All-American again kind of conversation. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, a few other teams maybe to talk about. Utah State was fourth, which is a, a very strong performance and really validates uh, their performance from a few weeks ago. Wake Forest, maybe a little bit of an off day, finishing fifth. Duke, Duke Ben looking strong, uh, just like their women uh, finishing sixth. And then Florida State. Uh, Without Paul Stafford, still finishing seventh on their home course, uh, maybe a little disappointing. Um, their overall depth looks a lot better when you add Adrian Wildshut and um, uh, Ahmed Muhammad into the lineup. But really, only Wildshut was the uh, was the only low stick for them, which was a little bit of a surprise. Uh, which one of these teams do you want to uh, highlight real quick? Honestly, I think we got to highlight Syracuse. You know, mm-hmm. it's just. Finishing eighth, and it's just, it's just a really odd. I, I, on paper, they had the pieces. They had JP Trojan. They had Dragon. You know, like they had a couple guys who were pretty solid. Yeah, like Henderson, Nathan Henderson can mm-hmm. can be pretty good, but the consistency wasn't there. Tucker finally raced, but when he did, it wasn't good. Like, I, like it was. If Syracuse has just got to be better, you know. Like it's just eighth place. You know, you're you're fighting for a national qualifying spot. You go, okay, well, hey, ACC's was just, you know, a poor performance. We're just going to chalk that up to a bad day. 
And now it's like, oh, is this actually the team that they are? And, and it's it's tough because it's like, okay, is Tooker better than 91st? Yeah. But I, I just I just don't know what else to think about that. It's, it's just surprising. Yeah, I mean, Joe Dragon with a solid performance. But, yeah, the, the talent at Syracuse is there. Like you mentioned, it's, it's just not translating. Um, but, yeah, I, I think that, I mean, do you have anything before we go on to the track results? No, I mean, shout out to Utah State. I yeah. mean, they were they were wild. I mean, we we wrote them off. We're like, well, they yeah. lost all these scores. Like, they're not going to come back. And they were fourth, and now they somehow completely revamped it. So, um, yeah. So this week was the week of the mile, um, especially on the men's side. We saw a lot of sub-four performances. Um, we saw five from your, alum, uh, your Virginia Tech alumni, um go under four in one single race which was really incredible but i want to talk about the race at arkansas that saw takia den uh, hideli run 356 juan diego castro 357 and then elliot kipsang in another meet ran 357 as well um which is a, a stunning time I, I think for the alabama runner but in the race with juan diego castro and hideli was hobbs kessler the uh, high schooler from Michigan, an NAU commit, runs 357 to break Drew Hunter's um, indoor uh, high school record, which I don't think anybody had the sense that that was going down this weekend. Uh, out of those three guys, I think Kessler is obviously the most interesting, but I, I think all three deserve a, a quick mention. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's awesome. Hideli, I mean, runs 145, not a total shock. I think we mm -hmm. had seen him run 358 last year. So for him to then run 145 and then come back in 356, he had a 337, 1500 meter PR uh, back in Algeria. So like huge performance, definitely one of his better performances, but also not a time where I'm like, whoa, I, he, I right. never like thought he would do that. Like I, that's more reserved for like Juan Diego Castro. Who, yes. In, in his own right. I mean, had a four flat PR, but just like, Quiet season opener. You typically think of him as an 800-meter runner. Eh, kind of okay. Similar with uh, Ilio Kipsang, right? 402, I think, prior in the season. Had really not done a whole lot. I mean, he had been fairly quiet in the few races that he did have at Alabama. And now, so far the season, just completely reinventing himself. 357 miles insane. Um, and then I'm sure we can talk about Kessler in a moment. But, yeah, I mean, that's kind of what I think about here. Like, Hideli is just like... Yeah, that's more or less on target. But, you know, Castro was moving up in distance. Kipsang was arguably moving down in distance, and yet they both hit 357s. So. Yeah, that was my big takeaway. Hideli's mark did not surprise me at all. But to see uh, Castro, I, I, Oklahoma State has quietly kind of had some really good performances. We didn't even mention Shea Foster at the, the Florida State uh, Winter Cross Country Classic, who will be going to Oklahoma State next year. He was seventh. Um the, the Cowboys are starting to really like gain a lot of momentum after their fall performances. They've had a few good track performances, and I think Castro running 357 is a, is a really good just uh, encapsulation of how well things are going in Stillwater right now. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that is a, a heck of a time. And, and you know, Alex Stitt, uh, the, mm -hmm. uh, I think, Australian freshman, yeah. you know, he has a 402 mile from earlier in the season. He didn't run well, but he's also a guy where I'm like, you know, he wouldn't be crazy if he dipped under four later this season as well. Oh, no, absolutely not. Um, but well, why don't we, we highlight Kessler a little bit more? So the, the high schooler trains with, I, I mean, this, 
if you could have a dream of who to train with, um, training with Nick Willis has got to be pretty cool, um, especially at this point in his career. And Mason Furlick under Ron Warhurst, like having that set up for you as a high schooler who, and it sounds like this, this kid's pretty new to running, to just walk into that and to train with these guys has obviously paid huge dividends. Um, but, and to run 357 is incredible. My, my question to you is, I, I'm kind of curious to see how he translates to a, an NAU program that has good milers. Um, but for this low, sounds like he's pretty low mileage to go into the altitude of NAU um, and to run with these, a lot of these seasoned veterans. It'll be, I'm kind of curious to see how that'll translate for him in the future. Yeah, I mean, on paper, you're like, wow, a guy who's fairly new to running, low mileage, just ran 357, and is now going to go up to a, a distance running powerhouse mm-hmm. um, at altitude and you know train with some of the best young talents in the country. On paper, it's like he's going to be the single greatest distance runner we've ever had, ever. <laughs> you know, like, you know. <laughs> Move and, over and, Nico Young. <laughs> yeah, move over Nico Young. And like, but kinda also, right? Like you run three fifty seven, it's just like, hey, you know, he kinda has the same exact number of national records as Nico Young has. <laughs> so I'm just just throwing that out there. Now, granted, Nico Young's kind of a little bit of a different story, but like three fifty seven and you kind of you look at his results, and like I had known who he was, right? Like as, as a recruiting coordinator for Miles Split. You kind of become familiar with which top programs are getting which names. And when I saw him, I was like, oh, solid talent, 1451 5K this past fall. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, top finisher at uh, XC Town, you know, meet of champions in Terre Haute. Like a solid talent, no doubt. But there was by no means any suggestion that he was going to run 357 and break the national record. Like there was zero indication that he was going to do that other than maybe some, some time trials that maybe some people in the know that were aware of, but that's about it. Yeah, it's incredible. And like you were kind of alluding to the sky seems to be the limit for him. Um, and obviously he's got good people in his corner that are going to be able to direct him as he transitions from high school to college, going to NAU under Michael Smith. I mean, it's, it really is like he's going from, coaching royalty to coaching royalty it, it, you couldn't plan it out much better um but garrett i'm, I'm gonna give you the floor for about a minute Ta- wax poetic about your virginia tech boys let me just say this and I, I said this previously no one runs with more control than virginia tech middle distance runners i i've watched them race multiple times specifically 1000 meter races but the mile as well no one runs with more control. And it is, it, it's, I'm not going to lie. I'm still shocked that, that these guys all ran under four. It's one thing for them to all run under four. It's all, it's another thing for them to all run under four in the same race. Mm-hmm. And when Coach Thomas left, I thought, oof, you know, Coach Jay, uh, that's, that's going to be a tough one, man. That's, you know, high expectations. You still got some great talents, but, you know, everyone's going to be thinking, it's like, oh, Virginia Tech, that was largely Coach Thomas. But shout out to Coach Jay, and I'm not going to try to say his last name. It's like Joggenheimer or something like that. I'm, I'm sorry, but it, it's so impressive. And I don't the – the last time I can remember four guys going under four minutes from the same team in the same meet was Georgetown back in like 2017 or 2016, right? Um, it, it's wildly impressive. 
And not only that, you also had Diego Zarat also run 357. Mm-hmm. He was the lead talent. He still has spring eligibility left, no window eligibility. I just super pumped for these guys. I don't even know any of them personally, but like I'm I'm very excited for them. It's it's uh it it feels good to be a Hokie today, man. It feels good. Yeah, I I can't help but agree that if if I saw four Belmont guys go sub four, I I think I might just like combust. I I would lose my <laughs> mind. Um especially if I was one of them. Um but why don't we talk about a women's performance? Uh Kennedy Thompson of Arkansas adds to the growing list of Arkansas women who have run under 440 in the mile. Do you off the top of your head without looking, how many women from Arkansas have run sub 440? Oh, well, I wrote this. So five, oh, five. Gosh, darn it. Uh, you didn't read the article. You got to read the article. Ben. That's true. I did not. I, yeah. All right. <laughs> Moving on. Uh, awesome performance from her. Um, and she, she's doing really well along with the rest of the Razorback ladies. Um, but why don't we look at some 3K results? Amon Kemboy, 752 from Arkansas. Um, Baldwin Magnuson, 753 from Eastern Michigan, I believe. And Cameron Ponder running 755 from Furman, looking really strong um, after his sub four mile. And Andrew Kent running 756 as well. Um, some big 3K times after a, a week or so of, of maybe. Uh, of obviously the the sub 750s were really strong but um to have that kind of depth in the 3k again this week was really impressive yeah i mean you know and i kind of mentioned this in our uh first thoughts article but amon kenboy like 752 mm-hmm. pretty much solo what could he have done in that razorback invitational race with like cooper tier and cole hawker and wesley kipju and mario garcia romo I'm like, he probably could have cracked 740 or seven, excuse me, 750 in that race, yeah. not 740. Um, <laughs> but, but, you know, I'm, I'm just kind of like, oh, I really would have liked to see him in that race. But, you know, overall, good. Magnuson, huge race. I mean, there's always one Eastern Michigan guy, it seems like every other year, who kind of comes out, you know, a few years ago was Willie Fink. This year it's Magnuson. And then um, Cam Ponder, you know, Cam Ponder and Andrew Kent battling it out, 755, 756. I mean, that's, those are two pretty solid times. And Kent has been kind of a guy who's been incrementally getting better over the years. So to kind of see him get this big mark under his belt is, is really encouraging. And, I'm, you know, he didn't get the win over Ponder, but um, I, I thought that was a really solid performance for a guy who doesn't get enough love. So, Yeah, yeah. I mean, Georgia Tech has a good history of developing guys, and, and he Kent seems to be the, the next guy in that conveyor belt. Um, on the women's side, we saw the Alabama duo of uh, Mercy Chenlagat and – Amarez uh, Tinsima? Yeah, that... you're... good luck. Good luck, okay. man. I have no idea. Tinsima? Yeah, I, I think that's about as good as I can do. Um, they ran 902 and 903 in the 3K. Um, Alabama, I mean, overall, had a, had a pretty good weekend on the women's side on the track. Um, I, I don't think this tells us a whole lot. Uh, I mean, Chen Legat, we already knew, was a stud. Um I think this just shows that Alabama is going to be very, very good this year in the track and in cross country. Yeah, I mean the Tanisima running nine oh three. I think, I mean she her previous best was nine forty four. Mm-hmm. Like it just completely came out of nowhere. She was like an okay back end score for Alabama. It wasn't anything amazing, but you know Alabama didn't have a ton of depth. But now she's going to run nine oh three, a second off of Cheng Lagat, and nine oh three is a no joke time. That'll probably qualify oh, yeah. her for the national meet, even during a regular season or maybe close to it. 
like it's like wait so between Jamie Reed, Mercy Chalenga, Esther Katahi, and now Tinisima. Uh, I'm sorry if I'm butchering that name. I know I am. It's like okay on on paper they have four low sticks. Like that's pretty scary. Now let's see how that actually translates to the grass. I you know you can't always just pencil people in like right. that. But nine oh three is like whoa that kind of changed the entire dynamic of this team and it kind of puts them into that whole like. Hey, if Oklahoma State had all of their women healthy and at their best, kind of like the same round. We'll see if that actually happens, but yeah, interesting. Yeah, Tanisima's uh, T first page. I just looked at it. It's a lot of yellow um, at the top of the screen, yeah. which is PR, PR, PR. The last three races, she's she's run personal records, which um, is obviously a great sign for her and the Alabama women. Um, we're gonna hit it through a quick, uh, quickly go through some results uh, before we get out of here. Eric Hammer. Uh, running 1336 altitude track uh, conversion. Um, very strong uh, 5K on the men's side where we really haven't seen many guys uh, attempt that distance. Grace Forbes uh, ran 1550 in the 5K as well. And then in the 800, we saw Finley McClear of Miami, Ohio running 148 and Lindsey Butler of Virginia Tech running 204. Uh, I-, I thought the Hamer performance was, was really interesting just because we haven't seen any sub 14 minute times yet this year and it'll be interesting to see if we get a lot more in the next few weeks yeah i mean for hamer for, for me at least hamer kind of slowed that 1340 at boston mm-hmm. um i think yeah last yeah. year so for me i was just kind of like okay with the conversion and knowing that he trains at altitude i think that is like doesn't totally shock me i mean it's a great time don't get me wrong yeah it doesn't totally shock me for me it was grace forbes running 1550 Right. I mean, the fact that the, the whole idea of Grace Forbes in her breakout like year last year, she ran one race where she ran 856 for 3000 meters completely yeah. out of nowhere. And we're like, wow, we can't wait to see what she does at nationals. And then nationals never happens. <laughs> and then the conference USA championships and cross country just don't give her any competition. And so we've basically been waiting for about a year to see if like, hey, is she, is she like even legit at all? And of course, Yep. She absolutely is running 1550 for 5,000 meters. But for me, this was just kind of like, oh, we finally have another performance to validate every suspicion we have that her 856 was the real deal and not a fluke. Because sometimes that happens, but you always got to be careful. So, yeah, yeah, really just solidifying her place among the women's elite uh, and only as a sophomore. Uh, so we'll, we'll see her for at least three more years. Uh, which, I mean, she's going to be probably rising up the ranks over the next uh, couple of seasons. But Garrett, that that wraps it up for us this uh, episode. We had plenty to talk about, and I'm sure we will have even more uh, races going on this weekend, uh, this coming weekend that we'll have to talk about. Um, We just had our rankings. We'll have our rankings going up uh, tonight or tomorrow night? I think so. The team rankings are up. The individual rankings will be up tomorrow. on Tuesday. So okay. I'm recording this Monday. Team rankings are up now. Tuesday, we should be aiming to, to have those individual rankings up. If not, then definitely Wednesday. But we're going to try to aim for Tuesday. All right. Yeah. We'll take a look at those. I, I did, a, me and Garrett did most of the men's. Um, and it was really interesting to look at the, the team rankings and, and how everything's kind of shaken out over the first few weeks of the cross country season. Um, very interesting to say the least. So. Uh, a quick reminder, leave us a rating review on Apple Podcasts. But uh, other than that, Garrett, uh, until next week, I'll talk to you. I'll talk to you.